podcast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. Now, I guess our listeners know that we just almost always have problems with our Skype connection. Some say we should use Zoom, and Zoom wants me to pay them money. So when they stop wanting me to pay them money for long meetings, I will possibly try Zoom. Right now we have Skype, and we're having fun trying to get connected as usual. One of the worst problems we had, by the way, was when we had Jacques Vallée on the show just a few weeks ago. Jacques being one of the grandfathers of the Internet, couldn't get the Skype connection to work with him. At the same time, our guest co-host, Kurt Collins, who's back with us tonight, we couldn't get his connection to work. So I don't know. We must have sent out some bad vibes. Our guest this week, Barry Greenwood, we had a little difficulty with him because his connection was coming up under a different username, which is a Microsoft plot. Do you think Microsoft has a plot against people involved in the UFO field, Barry? Well, it sure sounds like it because I, I never used that name that they had indicated was my contact. I had an entirely different address, so it's really weird, but we're connected now. And it's a very good connection, so we're really glad to meet you at long last. I know we've both been in this thing for a long, long time. I don't recall that our paths have ever crossed before. No, I don't think so. And memory for years ago, but I, I, I remember your name. I remember you, you know, working in the subject and all, but uh, no, we never spoke or contacted. Of course, after this, you may decide that that was the better idea. But all seriousness, <laughs> like many of us, you got interested in the subject really young. What, 10, 12 years old? Well, 11, right in between. Me too. What led you to pursue this crazy path? That's a long time ago. I think it was mainly because I, I had an interest in the space age at the time. You recall the astronauts were really popular and we were just getting into space during those years. And because I had that interest, I would look for things related to outer space, space travel and so on. And in 1964, I was reading a newspaper and there was a story about a uh, cop in Socorro, New Mexico who had seen a strange object and occupants standing beside it, and he didn't know what it was. It was a, a very oddly shaped thing for an aircraft. It was egg-shaped, and it was standing on legs and all. No, no it's not that there are completely uh, unknown vehicles made during that time that you know stood on struts and uh, may have been kind of smooth-shaped and all, but this, this object scared the cop, and... He didn't know how to deal with it. The beings or creatures or men who were standing beside it, he said, jumped in. And the thing took off with a blast of fire and and moved away. That somewhat impressed me. It was the first time I think he had read about a UFO incident. Prior to that, the years, I think between about 1959 and 1962 or so, were regarded as the Dark Ages by uh, former NICAP assistant director Richard Hall, mainly because uh, the sightings weren't being re reported as often as they had in years past. This event in 1964 really grabbed me, and I was fascinated with it, and I wanted to see if there were any more reports uh, like that. I visited 
libraries and check the bookstalls and drugstores as I did when I would come home from school. And lo and behold, there were other books on the subject, uh, some old and some fairly recent. And I discovered that there were many other incidents like that, similar to that, and, and some rather different, and some involving the military. So that, I guess you could say, kick-started me into that direction. And from that point on, I had never stopped looking for information on the topic. As the 60s went by, I uh, was close to graduating high school, and I figured that there was uh, difficulty in finding reliable information on UFOs. Uh, there were lots of books out, but not a whole lot of them were very reliable. So I was determined to locate that reliable information and try to pull it under my umbrella and assess the subject with that sort of data, which I, I felt was probably a lot better than most people were reporting. So I guess you could say that branched off into a, a direction where I was interested in collecting and archiving the subject. So uh, I began that and many books accumulated. I, I started subscribing to some of the publications out there, varying quality, that dealt with UFOs. As time went along, it just built up. I, I reached a point during the late 70s where I wanted to uh, specialize in something. The subject was uh, very broad. In the early years, uh, it was easy to deal with. I think at that point, it was only about 16, 17 years old or so. But with subsequent years, uh, it was obvious that the information on the topic was growing at a very large rate. So I decided to uh, look into government documents. Uh, in the late 70s, I had heard that there was a, a new revision of a law called the Freedom of Information Act that allowed average citizens to uh, request documents from the government. And I, I found that astonishing because you could peek into what was going on behind the scenes with the military and with uh, intelligence agencies and the government in general. The, the one I think it was the first FOIA request, I'll call it, that I had filed was actually based on a, an article in the National Enquirer, which discussed uh, these events over the northern tier of the U.S. with uh, the border with Canada, involving strange overflights of military bases. And they provided a list of the locations. Now, even then, I knew the Inquirer tended to be a little bit unreliable, needless to say. I remember the stories about man feeds son to pigs in the earlier years. So, I, And that was one of I, the lesser I, articles. That was, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I just used it because I happened to see that article at, at the point I had learned about the uh, FOIA. And I filed. I, I sent a uh, FOIA request the way it was supposed to be done to the Air Force at the Pentagon, I expected to get a fact sheet or something back, nothing big and uh, a denial on it. But uh, instead, I, I received a packet of information, which uh, were uh, an assortment of documents related to raw intelligence on these overflights. 
of the bases. I couldn't believe it. I, I, I'm saying, well, I don't know what I said in my request to prompt that kind of a response with with seemingly uh, sensitive information. And some of them were classified top secret. They were declassified specifically for me. Yeah, I think here, in retrospect, how special that must have been, or maybe somebody over there in authority took pity on you or screwed up. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what the reason was, but I, I, I sure know that some of the other folks who were filing for your requests at the time, including uh, the organization Cause Citizens Against UFO Secrecy, uh, they had not been able to unearth this kind of information. And when I informed them of it, I, I received a response from uh, uh, the head of it, Todd Zeckel, and he said he couldn't believe that that was released that way. He had virtually filed identical FOIA requests to what I was asking for and wasn't given anything. Now, we have a guest this week, someone that I've known about for many, many years. But for some reason, with all the time we've done the PowerCast, we have never had him on the show. Barry Greenwood joining us with Gene and our special guest co-host, Kurt Collins. You're in the Paracast. Hey, listeners, I want you to have the entire Paracast experience. So I'd like to tell you about After the Paracast. After the Paracast is an exclusive feature for subscribers to the Paracast Plus. With After the Paracast, you never know what's going to happen next. After the Paracast features color commentary, special interviews, and further conversations with Paracast guests. With Paracast Plus, you can download a very special enhanced version of the Paracast also. We do offer exclusive music, videos, and more features are coming. To get more info about subscribing, please visit theparacast.plus. Once again, theparacast.plus. Prices are just $1.50 a week, less than a cup of coffee at your local convenience store. Check out theparacast.plus to learn more about Paracast Plus. If you're concerned about the power grid and want to generate your own supply of off-grid electricity, this will be the most important message you'll hear this year. Here's why. We now have a small number of solar generators back in stock. These emergency backup systems provide life-saving backup power when you need it most. And unlike gas generators, solar generators run quietly, emit no dangerous fumes, and produce an endless supply of free electricity from the sun. Whether it's wildfires, dangerous weather, power grid issues, or just getting off the grid, you'll never have to suffer through painful power outages again. Even better, all this week, radio listeners get over $700 in free off-the-grid bonuses, too. Go to MySolarBackup.com to learn more and check availability. That's MySolarBackup.com. Look for the free report, Crisis Cooling, how to make absolutely sure your meat, milk, and medicines stay safe and cool in any power outage. Yours free at MySolarBackup.com. As Dr. Wallach says, we all have nutrient deficiencies in our diets and must supplement with 90 essential nutrients in proper balances. At no cost or obligation, get a personal certified holistic health coach to help you develop a supplement program based on Dr. Wallach's recommendations. 
Call Linda at 833-VITAL-90. That number to call is 833-848-2590. That's 833-VITAL-90. For over 20 years, Extendivite has been helping people. Here is a testimonial from Amazon.com. Glad I found this product. I am 51 years old and started getting headaches a couple of times a week. I went to the doctor and my blood pressure was a little high at around 150 over 95. I found out about Extendivite and I ordered some to try it. Immediately, I felt better and it lowered my blood pressure and my headaches went away almost instant. I have been taking it now for about four months and I am so glad I found this product. You won't be disappointed. Extendivite is only $69.95 for a two-month supply. To order, call 1-877-928-8822 or visit heartdrop.com. That's H-E-A-R-T-D-R-O-P.com. Extend your life with Extendivite. Are you afraid to go to the mailbox because of letter after letter from the IRS? Are they stacking on more and more penalties and interest? By now, you know the problem won't go away on its own. Don't let the IRS chase you to your grave with penalties and interest and liens and levies. You need real help now. I'm Dan Pilla. I wrote the book on tax debt settlement, and I helped thousands of people solve tax problems they thought couldn't be solved. I can help you too. Call 800-34-NO-TAX or go to my website, danpilla.com. That's danpilla.com. danpilla.com. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. I'll tell you, names from the past, Todd Zeckel. I remember him. Oh, sure do. Okay, so you got in touch with Todd Zeckel. And Todd Zeckel, working with Cause, had tried to do what you tried to do, which was to get answers to freedom of information requests from the government on UFOs. Hadn't done so well, but you had the magic bullet. What did you do right? I don't know. I I can't explain why. The, The request was pretty straightforward, just listing the names of the bases where there were allegations of uh, strange vehicles, uh, not, not merely unknown objects. Sometimes the personnel at these bases reported strange helicopters or what looked like helicopters flying about and violating uh, sensitive airspace over nuclear bomb storage sites and missile silos. And uh, the reports were quite vivid uh, in, in the telexes that we had received subsequently based upon what was first given to me in those old DDO talkers that they had sent out at first. So we're putting together a pretty comprehensive story based on that and uh, later FOIA requested to different agencies about this. It covered multiple agencies because it was such a security violation that it involved the FBI and, and uh, CIA and other uh, organizations as to what was going on. I, you know, I, I had informed Zeckel about it because I had, had recently joined CAUSE, given that they were looking for government UFO documents. I wanted to get some pointers and guidelines on going about that. I had sent that out, and, and that was a springboard for 
other requests, not not just about the uh, the overflights in, in 1975, but uh, with other documents about the subject and other agencies, and that that mushroom in a pretty big way. So uh, I think we had collected up to about 1983 or so some 4,000 pages of uh, files from at least a dozen different agencies. And I had been put in touch with other folks, including a, a longtime friend. He's, he's no longer with us now, but uh, that was uh, Robert Todd, who was uh, one of the most skilled people at, at filing FOIA requests on UFO reports that I had ever met. You know what? I knew him, too. What a small world this was. Yeah, yeah. Well, Todd uh, was very, very active doing this. I, he must have sent half a dozen letters every day for a long period of time. He had tremendous files, and he had built up so much that, it, that periodically he had to purge them and send them off to people. And it, when he did his first purge of what he had collected between about 1976 and 1980, he sent some to me. He sent some to Ray Fowler, who's a, a well-known UFO investigator, and uh, some to the Center for UFO Studies, which Alan Hynek had started in 1973. So between uh, the three of us, we had uh, some of Todd's early work, and, and believe me, I learned from what he had done and adjusted my requesting to be more focused and, and uh, to try to target things uh, specifically, uh, no longer was I going to accept that everything is at Project Blue Book and they have nothing else because that was proven dead wrong from uh, the very first time I had filed FOIAs. So uh, we knew the government wasn't being straight uh, in talking about this. And that eventually led to... Uh, me and uh, co-author Lawrence Fawcett putting together a manuscript uh, called Clear Intent, and that was to be the first uh, assessment of the 1975 overflights and all of the other documents uh, that were coming in at the time. And uh, we weren't done. We, we kept the, the ball rolling on that, and uh, over later years, many, many more documents surfaced, documents, microfilms, uh, it was just an amazing amount of data that uh, uh, most people didn't realize still existed. And the the title of your book wasn't that didn't that uh, come from one of those the seventy five documents? Yeah, yeah, that was uh, uh, it was a comment uh, made at Loring Air Force Base by one of the witnesses saying that the object overflying their nuclear bomb silos, uh, uh, their huts rather demonstrated a clear intent and that that quote was i thought pretty impressive because it, it doesn't argue for mirages or stars and planets uh, whatever was there was demonstrating some kind of a, a a directed intelligence well that's that's remarkable that you got those documents you know, not decades later. I mean, this was what, uh, was it the same year or, you know, a couple within the event? Uh, it was it was several years after 75. I mean, I had heard that something was going on, at least in uh, northern Maine, because uh, I, I had a clipping service that I had started in 1974 on uh, UFOs, and I wanted to see 
in general what was going on uh, across New England. It was it was limited to New England. You, you had to pay pretty stiff fees uh, for clipping services. So it was confined to my area. And uh, one week I started getting clips about sightings in extreme northern Maine around Caribou. And uh, they told of strange lights being seen, uh, but there was no real allusion to uh, the, the base at the time, the military base, the Alaring. And that was one of the main bases listed in the, in the original uh, reporting that uh, had experienced strange overflights. So I, I knew something had happened, but I, I wasn't clear that the base was involved until a couple of years later when I saw that Inquirer article. And uh, it surprised me in uh, the, the documents that were unearthed just on that incident alone were very revealing. It, it showed that uh, something was invading the base, doing what it wanted to do. The commander of the base wanted to shine a searchlight on it to get a clearer view, but uh, he was afraid uh, to do that because he, he didn't want to blind the pilot and cause them to crash into one of the the bomb silos. So uh, uh, he didn't do that, and the object persisted for a period of time until uh, aircraft were sent to intercept, and the object took off and headed for the Canadian border and and outran uh, their pursuit aircraft. And I don't, I don't know whatever happened when it went over the uh, Canadian border. There's, there's no accounting from Canada that I know of on what happened after it uh, crossed. So it's, it's still a mystery where that thing ended up. Uh, and it's, it's a mystery, too, be, with the whole overflight period, because uh, it seems that there was no final report on the series of incidents. It covered three weeks and involved uh, Wurtsmith Air Force Base in Michigan, uh, Minot, North Dakota, uh, Malmstrom in Montana. It was, it was clear across the country. We have Barry Greenwood joining us this week. Our guest co-host is Kurt Collins. You're in the Paracast. Thank you for listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. Do you want to give you and your loved ones premium nutrition right now? Hi, I'm Jamel Bookaboo from TeamGaday.com and the GCN Longevity Health Team. Get your premium nutrition formulated by world-renowned naturopathic doctor, Dr. Joel Wallach at Wholesale, or also become a distributor and earn income while supporting this broadcast. Go to TeamGaday.com via the shopping cart or contact form, and I'll get back to you with support personally. That's TeamGaday.com with Longevity. TeamGaday.com. Silver has always been nature's very own antibiotic, and only one system allows you to generate an endless supply of natural silver solutions. SilverLungs.com. You'll find no wild claims or pseudoscience, just a lifetime of nano-sized pure silver solutions. The Silver Lungs generator allows you to make your own, so stop paying for silver solutions. The unique lung delivery system targets respiratory infections where other silver solutions simply cannot reach. See the Silver Lungs generator and lung delivery system at SilverLungs.com. That's SilverLungs.com. USA Radio News with Chris Barnes. 
The nation's highest court opens a new term on Monday, and this comes as the justices seem to be increasingly frustrated with each other and the news media and the expectations placed on the court. CNN judicial analyst Ariane DeVogue says it all comes at a really interesting time with that term starting on Monday. On the heels of the court dividing bitterly and allowing that Texas law to go into uh, effect. Referring there to the Supreme Court's inaction to stop a very restrictive abortion law in Texas, he's now known as the GOAT, the greatest of all time because of his performance over 20 years in New England and today for the first time since going to the Tampa Bay Bucks and immediately leaving. Leading them to a world championship, Tom Brady visits New England and Gillette Stadium to face the Patriots. And this is USA Radio News. Alex Jones, the Texas man who runs the website InfoWars, is going to have to pay up after claiming that the 2012 Sandy Hook school shootings in Connecticut were all a big hoax. Jones was found legally responsible in two lawsuits, and the lawyer for victims says... Finally, there's some accountability standard that he's now going to have to answer to. Attorney Bill Ogden saying he's never seen a case play out quite like this, as Jones, who lives in Austin, didn't comply with court orders to provide information for the lawsuits, meaning he lost the cases by default. A jury will determine how much he owes. Twenty kids were killed in that shooting, along with six other people. California school students 12 years of age and older are now being required to get vaccinated against COVID-19, although Governor Gavin Newsom says the mandate won't really take effect until the FDA has fully approved the COVID-19 vaccine for ages 12 and up, which could happen as early as early November. This is USA Radio News. We are GCN, the Genesis Communications Network. We've got listeners, lots of them. Around the world, around the clock, our listeners do what listeners do. They listen. And you know what listeners got? Needs. Needs for your products, your services, and money to buy those needs. With our network of over 1,000 radio stations, streaming on the web, and our satellite transmissions, we're reaching our listeners with quality conservative programming. But there's something our listeners don't have. Your offer to meet their needs. Any business needs buyers. But if our listeners don't hear your message, they're still going to buy what they need. Just not from your business. So let's fix this. Tell us about your business. Then let our super creative department go to work to craft just the right message for our GCN listeners. Get started today with GCN, the Genesis Communications Network. Just shoot us an email. Advertise at GCNlive.com. Hi, this is Bryce Abel. I'm the producer of Dark Skies, the co-author of AD After Disclosure, and you are listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. With Barry Greenwood joining us first time on the Paracast, I know it won't be his last, at least I hope it doesn't, because he has so much good stuff to tell us. And he's talking about his earliest days in the field, about the involvement with citizens against UFO secrecy, which sounds to me, in retrospect, as kind of a lobbying organization. Uh, yeah, I, I would say that. Uh, I mean, not it, quite it, as upfront as like a Stephen Bassett. Right, right. No, they. Did, I don't think they had the, the resources to do that kind of work at the time, but... Uh, I think it was constituted mainly to, uh, to file FOIAs, get the results, and report them through a newsletter, which was called Just Cause. 
that went on for, I think, oh, let me see, about three years or so. And then there were financial problems and the uh, and Todd Zeckel uh, dropped out for unclear reasons. And and the, the, the rest of the publication was uh, picked up by Larry Bryant of Washington, D.C., who was, was a longtime uh, researcher, too. But he kept that going for two years. He had to quit as well. So uh, there was a period of time when uh, Cause wasn't doing anything. Uh, it, it was dormant, essentially. And uh, when I was thinking about doing a book with Larry Fawcett, Peter Gersten gave me the idea to do it. He wanted to do it first. He was a lawyer that had filed lawsuits against the CIA and National Security Agency around 1979, 1980 or so. He had successfully extracted uh, many pages of documents which were helpful to us. He uh, he wanted to do a book. He didn't have time in, in his career, so he asked Larry first, who was a friend of his in Connecticut, Larry Fawcett, uh, if he wanted to do a book. And Larry, I had met Larry at a at an old mass MUFON meeting that we had uh, around that time, and I spoke about government documents, needless to say, because that's what I was doing, filing FOIAs at the time, and Larry was fascinated with it, so he wanted to get together and and do something. And he said, well, uh, Peter was going to do a book, and uh, he couldn't, so you want to do a book? And I said, well, yeah, how do you do a book? I had never written a book before. He contacted a, a literary agent, John White, and told him, you know, we're going to put something together. And I asked John, you know, how do you approach a publisher about something like this? And uh, he had sent a uh, proposal, which is the first thing anyone does before even writing a book, a proposal to uh, pick up this work, this topic, and uh, publish it eventually. In that case, he sent me something on the Shroud of Turin, but it, it gave me the outline on how you prepare a proposal. So I just applied uh, uh, the UFO overflights and documents we had gathered to that uh, model and and wrote it up and sent it in. And I think the first publisher he approached uh, picked it up right away, Simon and Schuster. So that's how Clear Intent came about. And then they told me, okay, you have a contract now. Uh, now you have to write a book. <laughs> I said, okay, here we go. Uh, I, it took me about seven months. And I think I wrote the last chapter in a day. I, I was up against a deadline and I just sat down one morning and worked it through to that evening and and it was all done sent it in and about six months later the book was done you know when you talk about this rushing at the end of the deadline to get chapters out i used to write what we call production line books on technology for a lot of these same publishers and they'd want me to do like a full 500 page book in four to six weeks hmm and in the thousand-page book, you're lucky if you got two months. <laughs> wow, that's a tall order. I mean, especially since I hadn't done a book before, <laughs> I, I couldn't imagine doing that. But it, it ended up. I, I sent a 400-page manuscript in at the end of the time, so it worked out fine. I mean, I, very, very minor corrections to it, uh, and it, it uh, had a had a pretty good impact. I thought. 
Oh, yeah, it did. And I think it's very influential. Uh, and it's still worth, uh, you know, despite the fact that some of the approaches are a little dated, mm-hmm. it's still worth reading today. Um, and uh, I, I noticed the NICAP site has it listed in their collection of books that you can read online. So yeah. it is still still available. Although I th- personally think it would be worth you updating. But um, I, I wanted to say uh, we mentioned some groups here, uh, QFOS and CAUSE. Uh, most of those are not still around, at least not in their original form. You've seen a lot of things come and go and a lot of changes in the organizations. Could you talk a little bit about that, about what's what they have, what's been lost, what's being recovered? Yeah, I mean, yeah, there have been a lot of changes over the years. So that's inevitable with, with organizations that uh, uh, they spring up, they, they expect to have share funding uh, by selling books and periodicals and all, but that's really not the case anymore. There's books and periodicals are not exactly uh, the, the main way to get information now. It's the Internet. And because of that, I think the organizations lost their main source of income. And what do they sell if they can't sell books and periodicals? So, uh, you know, one by one, I think they they – went under or, or adjusted to the, the times, uh, cause no longer exists. That went out, oh, around the year 2000, 2001 or so. I uh, noticed, by the way, that one of your board members was Chris O'Brien. Um, he was listed uh, as well, on from the From what site. time frame? From what, what time, time frame? frame? Probably towards the latter years. This is before yeah. you started writing those books on the Mysterious Valley. Okay, the latter, let me see, the latter years, I had uh, resigned in 1998. Um, we really didn't have a uh, big structure. Uh, uh, when I, I have to explain, I after 1982, when it went dormant and I, I asked Peter uh, about doing a, a newsletter because when we started writing the manuscript for clear intent, uh, I, I felt there was a need to update that. And it was, this was pre-internet. So there was no computer or anything to report uh, on, spun, on, on new events. So I thought a newsletter would be good. And I, I revived just cause in, in 84 and I kept that going for, let me see, 14, I don't know, about 14 years or so until 1998. And then there was a little bit of a kerfuffle with uh, uh, Peter Gersten at the time. And and uh, he, uh, I don't know, for what, some reason he, he wanted to step in and, and take the organization over after we'd been working on it, Larry and myself and a, a, a group of uh, assistants. Uh, but he had informed me that he just wanted to use the uh, the name cause to file some FOIA requests, and I said, "Well, it, it was basically his organization uh, at first. He had he had filed uh, to register it in the state of Delaware, so Peter had the name." And I said, "You don't have to ask me for the name. You just uh, go ahead and and uh, start filing." Now I didn't know exactly what he was going to do. My impression was. He was just going to send some requests in using a letterhead. But as it turned out, he's, uh, he, I noticed some officials starting to appear out of nowhere uh, that 
that Peter was appointing to cause. And uh-huh. it, it, it surprised me. I, I didn't expect that because I, myself and Larry had been doing the newsletter and not much uh, interference or anything from outside. But now there were these officials being installed above what Larry and I were doing. Well, and, now we're getting uh, into UFO group politics, and I wanted to yeah. ask a question or two about that, not delve too long into it. Barry Greenwood is joining us for the first time on the show. Our guest co-host is Kurt Collins. You're in the Paracast. Thank you for listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. Do you need a website? Well, you can get a great deal on hosting services with Namecheap's legendary coupon code. They're offering substantial hosting discounts on shared hosting, business hosting, VPS hosting, reseller hosting, and even dedicated servers. Namecheap is preferred by millions. It's backed by a money-back guarantee. Use the coupon code LEGENDARY to cash in on the special deal at Namecheap.com, Namecheap.com. First game, Attack of the Rockoids, and it was a critically acclaimed success. And now there is the coming of the Protectors. A former military intelligence man is contacted by a space woman in a dream, a dream that turns out to be a nightmare because evil forces on our distant planet are planning to conquer the Earth. This is gripping science fiction of the classic kind. Attack of the Rockoids and the coming of the protectors find out more at rockoids.com that's rockoids r-o-c-k-o-i-d-s.com what if you could cut your heating bills this winter with your existing wood-burning fireplace and not spend thousands doing it? You can with Great Wall of Fire Fireplace Grates. Our U.S. patented, made-in-America Wall of Fire Grates increase fireplace efficiency, eliminate fireplace smoke problems, and come with a 30-day money-back guarantee. See our grates in action and get free shipping from walloffire.com or call 800-274-7364. Fireplace heat without fireplace smoke. Walloffire.com. Silver has always been nature's very own antibiotic, and only one system allows you to generate an endless supply of natural silver solutions. SilverLungs.com. You'll find no wild claims or pseudoscience, just a lifetime of nano-sized pure silver solutions. The Silver Lungs Generator allows you to make your own, so stop paying for silver solutions. The unique lung delivery system targets respiratory infections where other silver solutions simply cannot reach. See the Silver Lungs Generator and Lung Delivery System at SilverLungs.com. That's SilverLungs.com. Tehebo Tea Club's original Pure Pau Arco Super Tea helps build the red corpuscles in the blood which carry oxygen to our organs and cells. Our organs and cells need oxygen to regenerate themselves. The immune system needs oxygen to develop and cancer dies in oxygen. So the tea is great for healthy people and it can truly be miraculous for someone fighting a potentially life-threatening disease due to an infection, diabetes, or cancer. A one-pound package of tea is $34.95 plus shipping. To order, please visit shopsupertea.com. That's shop, S-H-O-P, super, S-U-P-E-R-T-T-E-A dot com. So the complete website is shopsupertea.com or call us at 818-984-6100, Monday through Saturday, 9 to 5 California time. That's shopsupertea.com at 818-984-6100. 
First, we decide where we want to go. Then we need to know the best way to get there. Hi, my name's Adam Barada. I'm the owner of Advantage Gold. We're the highest rated precious metals firm in the country. We teach people how to own physical gold and silver. Now, we've won the Best of TrustLink Award four years in a row because we educate our clients on how to buy gold and silver the right way. We don't pay celebrity spokespeople millions of dollars. We'd rather pass that value on to you. Call 800-900-8000 and speak with one of our experts. We'll send you a free gold kit along with my latest number one national best-selling book, The Great Devaluation. Call 800-900-8000. That's 800-900-8000. Get the best information, the best process, the best service, the best value. Call Advantage Gold at 800-900-8000. Call 800-900-8000. Hi, it's Grant Cameron from PresidentialUFO.com. You're listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. So Barry Greenwood, I assume then when I mention a name or two like Chris O'Brien, who, by the way, was the co-host of this show for a period of about 10 years, that... This happened when you weren't really directly involved. Now, I had some interactions with Peter Gersten in the early 2000s, mm. and he is definitely kind of an unusual character. Yeah, he became a woo-woo guy. Uh, you could say that, yes. I think I at one that. time, seriously, he was talking about offing himself. Uh, yes, there was a... <laughs> It was an incident. Oh, I can't remember exactly when, but he was talking about he lived, I think, in Sedona, Arizona. And he was talking about going up in a mountain and jumping into a vortex. And people were saying, what the hell is he talking about? He, he felt that they could see a vortex uh, in the sky and he was going to jump in and enlighten himself on whatever he learned from going in there. And uh, he was roundly made fun of when that hit the press. I, I remember uh, Chelsea Handler on her talk show ridiculed him openly uh, on TV. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm doing a facepalm watching that because here's the organization I tried to make credible for years before, and Peter was essentially ruining it. I think the outcome was that uh, Peter decided not to go because there was supposed to have been a police presence there to prevent him from doing it. And I don't know if he even believed what he was saying anyway. It may have been a publicity stunt, but uh, that really tainted him from that point on. Is he even still alive? As far as I know, yeah. I I think the last I heard, he was doing guided tours of the the wild out there, uh, having people coming along with him. He had he had a bevy of photos of him with uh, lots of women doing paid tours, and he was he was able to lead them around there. Uh, His personality was was very different from yours. I mean, you're you're uh, you're about the research and the credible evidence, and I I got the feeling that he was a bit more of a performer and showman, like a number of ufologists are. Yeah, uh, uh, Peter, I, I think. Uh, originally, when I first heard of him, he was associated with uh, the, the Watergate uh, scandal. He, he was a lawyer in a firm with other lawyers that were representing Watergate people. 
And uh, I, I don't know exactly what his role was in that, but uh, later on, he took an interest in the government documents coming out and, and decided to do pro bono work with, uh, I think, uh, let me see, Ground Saucer Watch at one point, and Cause as well, Cause in the Todd Zeckel rendition. Uh, so uh, he, he made a name for himself uh, by winning somewhat those lawsuits. He, he extracted something like 900 pages from the CIA and and a, a much smaller amount from the NSA, but at that time to get anything from the NSA at all was a, an accomplishment. Now, and, these uh, days, John Greenwald apparently has earned the moniker of being, what, the chief FOIA request person? Yeah, yeah, I, I suppose that's true. Uh, he has the Black Vault, and yeah. and it's, it's loaded with all the old documents and a, a lot newer things that uh, he had extracted himself uh, along with others. So, yeah, he's the, he's the new face of FOIA. Uh, I had found that the FOIA became very cumbersome over time uh, with succeeding administrations changing the law constantly to the point that uh, I, I found requests taking months or even years to fulfill and the law was allowing them to do that. And, I, you know, I, I was getting older and I didn't want to spend my my later time waiting and waiting and waiting on requests to be fulfilled, only to find maybe some of them weren't a big deal. I, I, one of the things that I would love to have found eventually was uh, a document from 1948 called The Estimate of the Situation, which was a, a near... A, an Air Force draft document that was sent up through channels during that year, uh, essentially admitting that UFOs were some sort of strange space vehicles. I had a friend who contacted Dewey Fournay, who was uh, one of the people who had seen that report, one of the few, along with uh, Edward Ruppelt, who was the, the head of Project Blue Book between 1951 and 53. And since Fournay had seen the document, uh, I contacted my friend and told him, you know, ask him about that, see what he says. And he answered. He uh, he remembered the document and all, uh, as the story went. Uh, Fournay uh, was in charge of the uh, current intelligence branch at the Pentagon for the Air Force. And Ruppelt came in one day to talk to him about the you know the connections between the Pentagon and and Dayton where Project Blue Book was and at one point Fournay pulled a copy of the estimate out of a file drawer and he showed it to Ruppelt which I suppose is the source of Ruppelt's reporting in his uh, in his 1956 book report on unidentified flying objects and he described it in in some detail there's a uh, the published version is shorter than the manuscript version i've seen the manuscript uh, of that book and it, it's it goes into much more detail about it but uh he saw it uh, he had to give it back to fournay and fournay put it in the file drawer and that's the last i think anyone can pinpoint that document as uh, being anywhere and uh, I discovered in later years that those particular files were amongst 
a group of 600 boxes of still classified information. Uh, you couldn't access them. So it made it difficult to try to determine if the document was there. I think it would have taken just random finger flipping of file folders to find out if it was there at all. But now we have COVID and COVID restrictions on doing research at these facilities, and it's made it even harder uh, uh, to get at that information. So anyway, that's uh, that's what the estimate was, and uh, uh, we're still looking. I'm convinced it exists. It's just a matter of finding it in a, a gigantic pile of paper. Maybe in Warehouse 13. Whatever they call it down there, I'll, I'll go look if they let me in. <laughs> it's... Uh, it, it's hard to tell. I, I, it, it's likely at uh, what they call Archives 2 in Suitland, Maryland. It, it's a place where files are sent uh, as sort of a limbo between uh, coming from the military and for public exposure at the main archives. Uh, it, it, it takes all of these uh, overflow files and just piles them up, much like... Uh, Indiana Jones uh, warehouse where they put the Ark of the Covenant in this uh, facility where it's just going to disappear totally amongst a bunch of wooden boxes. That's where I think the idea of Warehouse 13, the TV show, came from, a place where strange artifacts are being stored. Yeah, yeah. uh, The the UFO things are probably much more scattered than that, but uh, they're around if if I think one looks hard enough and looks in the right place. Uh, You see, this raises the big question I wonder about, and especially in light of the current Pentagon UAP task force, and that is if the government is taking this thing seriously, wouldn't they have a restricted area where they keep this evidence so they can refer to it can they so they can use it if it's thrown all over the place it would indicate apparently that they didn't take it so seriously uh i I think if you look at the recent task force report and how they discuss uh their inquiry into this there's almost a, a peculiar disdain for history uh, they start their investigation in 2004 up until uh, uh, current events. Sure. And repeatedly, I, I had heard uh, individuals talk about uh, years prior to that as not of interest to them, which amazed me. But that's what they had said. Uh, Louis Elizondo, for example, had said that back in 2017. He wasn't. He didn't want to consult history. Well, he's writing a book on it now, so maybe he's going to have to change his tune. We're going to have to see. We've got a lot more to talk about with Barry Greenwood. As mentioned, of course, his involvement with Citizens Against UFO Secrecy, one of the early UFO-oriented lobby groups. And I guess we can call NICAP, the organization that Major Keogh headed, also kind of a UFO lobbying group. Kurt Collins is our guest co-host. You're in the Paracast. listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. Hey listeners, I want you to have the entire Paracast experience. So I'd like to tell you about After the Paracast. 
After the Paracast is an exclusive feature for subscribers to the Paracast Plus. With After the Paracast, you never know what's going to happen next. After the Paracast features color commentary, special interviews, and further conversations with Paracast guests. With Paracast Plus, you can download a very special enhanced version of the Paracast also. We do offer exclusive music, videos, and more features are coming. To get more info about subscribing, please visit theparacast.plus. Once again, theparacast.plus. Prices are just $1.50 a week, less than a cup of coffee at your local convenience store. Check out theparacast.plus to learn more about Paracast Plus. You don't sit behind a desk every day to earn a living. You're out and about making it happen. And sometimes you get a little bit behind on your paperwork. You know, like bookkeeping and paying your taxes. It's easy to get behind on paying your taxes. It happens to the best of us. And you know what happens next. The big bad IRS comes knocking on your door. And when that happens, you need to call the good old boys at the tax doctor. Let them do what they do best. Deal and negotiate with the IRS so you pay the lowest you can in back taxes that the law allows. We are a 100% U.S.-based company, and we've saved our clients millions over the years in back taxes. If you owe $10,000 or more in back taxes, call my friends right now at the tax doctor and learn more. 800-985-1610. That's 800-985-1610. Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. If I may, Barry Greenwood, what kind of work did you do in real life? I worked for the Postal Service for nearly 40 years. How can we trust well, anything you say? Well, that's what people said years ago. They said, uh, you know, don't trust Greenwood. And uh, well, Larry Fawcett was a police officer, so that aroused interest with people, too. But I encouraged them to think that because they said, look, I get a government paycheck, so I can't deny that I'm connected to the government. Yeah, you can take that and go where you want with it. There is a lot of paranoia baked into ufology, so I'm sure you've dealt with that sort of thing in other cases. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, people ask me if uh, there were men in black hanging around the neighborhood or black sedans with uh, t- tinted windows and all. I, I never ran into any of that. I, I didn't experience any particular sense of paranoia. I mean, other people did uh, who I knew, but I just couldn't relate to that at all. I, I didn't take that too seriously. I All I was doing was filing requests, getting documents, storing them and talking about them. If someone wanted to monitor me, it would be a pretty boring operation because they see me eating lunch and, and dinner and, and at, at the post office most of the day. And then only from about 1130 at night to 3 a.m. was I doing UFO work. It's kind of hard to monitor me in the dark. 
Well, yeah, I want to talk about your uh, your archival work in just a minute. But before we get too far away from the, the difficulty of getting government documents, the CIA's own history of their involvement in UFOs, they mentioned that there were very few documents generated from, say, like the late 70s or 80s on. And I've heard that um, uh, Colonel – oh, and I've gone, gone blank on his name – uh, John Alexander, he's mm-hmm. mentioned that, that when he had a UFO organization, they used a sneaky name, Advanced Theoretical Physics, and they tried to uh, to use terminology that couldn't be found, and they also avoided paperwork. So yeah. apparently they're on to the FOIA game, I guess, they'll, we'll call it from their perspective, and are avoiding uh, creating mm-hmm. documents. So how much do you think that may complicate matters? Uh, it's complicated it to a certain extent. I, I think one fact that uh, FOIA requesters have learned is that over time you you get a sense of disdain for the topic you're requesting. If you say UFO, they kind of joke about it, treat it frivolously. Uh, I know Bob Todd uh, had run into that with uh, elements at NORAD where they were they're actually openly sarcastic about his requesting UFO data, which prompted a few explosions by him towards them. And they had to apologize for it because that was not called for with uh, FOIA requesting. But nevertheless, that attitude was there. And uh, we, we kind of learned uh, to use other terminology to describe UFOs as hard as that was because uh, it seemed like the term was tainted. As soon as you say it, it's like you're on a blacklist. So uh, we found other inventive ways to request information and all. We thought that was a pretty good idea. But then uh, around 2015, I was uh, browsing some uh, information on the National Archives website. And they had posted some uh, uh, graphed out data uh, from the Vietnam War. Uh, something about combat air activities. And when I see something like that, I just want to take a glance at it uh, to see if there's anything relevant to uh, UFOs. And I fully expected maybe nothing would turn up, just mission reports and bombing missions and all. So I I started looking, and then I was stunned when I I saw uh, some of the causes for the combat missions. It said specifically on many of them, UFO. And I went, what? Why is that term uh, turning up? Because the Air Force didn't want to use that phrase at all. They were using it rather openly inside uh, during Vietnam. And uh, I almost wonder if that, that initial disdain about the term UFO was sort of a way to get us off from actually finding documents with that term being used uh, despite uh, the stigma that it had within the military. I was really floored by that because it it probably prevented some UFO materials from being discovered, especially from Vietnam uh, uh, during that time frame. And I urge people I know to go back to using UFO because uh, they were using it themselves, and if you don't ask for that term, they won't send you documents related to it. It was it was uh, an interesting turnabout, uh, but it, it resulted in uh, 
you know, several binders full of uh, UFO reports during the Vietnam War, including uh, one that involved uh, activity o- over the DMZ at the time, which resulted in a uh, an Australian ship being accidentally attacked uh, uh, during a period of UFO sightings over the land. And you'll be able to find that in the in the history books, the USS Hobart, which was quite a, a, a news story uh, in the papers at the time. It's around 1968. I think it was July. Uh, but, uh, it, yeah, it was... Uh, it was a fascinating discovery. So we've gone back to UFO and using all these other terms, and regardless of stigma. Well, then, are they using UAP to set up a line of demarcation so you don't ask about UFOs, therefore it won't be looked at? Well, they, they've renamed UFO. I mean, it's an old term, yeah, and they felt that was a more descriptive term of, of what they were dealing with. So. Uh, as long as people know that that's what they're doing, and I'm fine with it. Uh, I, I'll never stop using UFO because I'm so used to it now, I can't get it out of my head. It's like, you know, calling a car something else. You have to call it a car. And these are UFOs. Well, but, look at this. Know, however, these days, most cars are SUVs or crossovers or trucks. Yeah. The real car you can't find anymore. Yeah. Well, I have one. It's a sedan. So I'm still comfortable using it to describe anything on four wheels that people get in and drive. If it's not a truck. <laughs> no, I, I have just a little Volkswagen here, so I understand well, that. There you go. Still a car. Well, Volkswagen but, you know. says that, what is it, 30 percent? Other sales are still Jettas and Golfs and mm. Passats. Yeah, yeah. Wh- whatever the, the term applies is fine. They, they've renamed UFO, and that's okay. As long as we know they're dealing with the phenomenon instead of uh, trying to sweep it under the rug. It's quite out in the open now. It's, uh, it's, to me, it's a positive development. But do you think it's going to lead us anywhere, or is it just to mollify a few people? Yeah, probably a little bit of both. I'm thinking uh, of Senator Reid, for example. Senator Harry Reid is pretty clearly a very pro-UFO kind of guy. And when he was the Senate Majority Leader, that's where they got the money to finance that small UFO project. Yeah, yeah. There, there were several people who were into the subject very much. Uh, I, I think one of them, uh, uh, Senator Stevens from Alaska, had had a sighting. So he was inclined to uh, uh, support that uh, topic. And uh, they were able to get the money uh, pretty well and all. I'm still unclear, though, on how it was spent. Uh, I understand that, that half of $22 million that was allotted uh, to UFO research or UAP research uh, ended up uh, upgrading uh, some buildings at Bigelow Aerospace. Uh, yes, which, well, Bigelow, I think, was a big contributor to Senator Reid. But yeah, that's the politics. Well, Barry Greenwood joining us with Gene and with Kurt Drin. The Paracast. 
Hey, listeners, I want you to have the entire Paracast experience. So I'd like to tell you about After the Paracast. After the Paracast is an exclusive feature for subscribers to the Paracast Plus. With After the Paracast, you never know what's going to happen next. After the Paracast features color commentary, special interviews, and further conversations with Paracast guests. With Paracast Plus, you can download a very special enhanced version of the Paracast also. We do offer exclusive music, videos, and more features are coming. To get more info about subscribing, please visit theparacast.plus. Once again, theparacast.plus. Prices are just $1.50 a week, less than a cup of coffee at your local convenience store. Check out theparacast.plus to learn more about Paracast Plus. First, we decide where we want to go. Then we need to know the best way to get there. Hi, my name's Adam Barada. I'm the owner of Advantage Gold. We're the highest rated precious metals firm in the country. We teach people how to own physical gold and silver. Now, we've won the Best of TrustLink Award four years in a row because we educate our clients on how to buy gold and silver the right way. We don't pay celebrity spokespeople millions of dollars. We'd rather pass that value on to you. Call 800-900-8000 and speak with one of our experts. We'll send you a free gold kit along with my latest number one national best-selling book, The Great Devaluation. Call 800-900-8000. That's 800-900-8000. Get the best information, the best process, the best service, the best value. Call Advantage Gold at 800-900-8000. Call 800-900-8000. Has your body ever gone low blood sugar feeling weak, shaky, knowing you better eat something fast? We all know high blood sugar can lead to many metabolic problems. At GCNteam.com, we have a healthy blood sugar pack. Focusing on the structure and function of stable blood sugar. Find us at GCNteam.com or call 877-878-4203. Nothing feels worse than unstable blood sugar. Call 877-878-4203. That's 877-878-4203. Airlines have just reduced their prices even more. Book 30 days in advance and save big. Want the absolute lowest prices on your airline tickets? Then call the low-cost airlines travel hotline right now. For prices so low, we can't publish them anywhere. The only way to access our low rates and save up to 70% is to call. Save hundreds on your vacation tickets by calling right now. You can fly anywhere in the world and pay discount prices on your airline. Airline tickets. Book a flight today to London, Paris, Madrid, or anywhere else you want to go. And pay a lot less guaranteed. Call the International Travel Department right now at low-cost airlines. 802-341-4535. 802-341-4535. That's 802-341-4535. Have you ever thought about turning your Glock, XD family, or 1911 handgun into a semi-automatic carbine? 
It only takes about 30 seconds. The MacTech Carbine Upper is classified as an accessory and can be delivered right to your doorstep with no FFL or background check required. It's the world's most versatile pistol accessory. Build your custom upper today. Simply go to handgunconversion.com. That's handgunconversion.com. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. But think of it this way. In government parlance, $22 million buys a few toilet seats and hammers. Mm. Yeah, yeah, under their pricing system, right. Well, Bigelow upgraded those buildings, apparently, to accommodate analyzing UFO crash debris. That became somewhat evident to me, I I think, earlier in 2017, before the uh, To the Stars uh, uh, business was announced and all of this started to come out, I, uh, I was asked, uh, by Jacques Vallée during the summer of 2017 uh, upon a, my trip to start scanning the uh, UFO files at KUFOS in Chicago, which included NICAP files. Uh, he asked me to uh, look for any cases involving artifacts because he was connected to some high-end project to try to analyze UFO artifacts and debris. And I, I didn't realize it at the time because it hadn't been announced, but the um, To the Stars, uh, Louis Elizondo, all of that came out later that December, and I, I put two and two together and figured, well, Ballet was, uh, was connected to them, and he was kind of a dropping a hint at the existence of this before it ever became public. His involvement is, is not well known, but he was there in uh, in Las Vegas no- negotiating with um, MUFON representatives when they were setting up to uh, share files with them and write some reports for them. So that's that's all very interesting, and it's a, it's kind of a small group of people that are involved in the National Institute for Discovery Science, and you know it just overlaps from different projects. I think it's uh, left over from earlier efforts that came and went and reorganized uh, something else, and then those passed on. And it's the same crowd. It's the same people involved uh, with a lot of these things dating back to the 80s that I can see. I, uh, you know, the uh, To the Stars, it involves you know, a number of people I didn't know, but a number we did, including Hell Put Off and Valet and further behind the scenes, uh, Dr. Eric Davis. And these, these folks have been milling around the backwaters of UFO research for years. And then they turn up again. So uh, I, I was a little concerned, though, about some of the uh, uh, people, especially uh, uh, Hell Put Off, because I thought that there were there suggestions and not sometimes not so subtle suggestions that uh, the folks that had begun the MJ-12 hoax uh, were becoming involved with the, the, this new effort. And I had good reason to think that because of some of the uh, uh, information that was surfacing, but it, it didn't come out full-blown that, uh, that I can see, at least not yet. 
but they're, they're there and they're lurking around. I'm, I'm still cautious about how this whole thing is going to play out. Going back to MJ-12, I was thinking, of course, Bill Moore and Richard Doty were the main yeah. offenders, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, primary ones, sure. So they, uh, how does that I, get connected with all this other stuff? Uh, uh, it, it's the people, some of the people who are involved with that just continue to be involved with behind-the-scenes uh, semi-government uh, involvement with the subject, talking to government people, and uh, kind of pushing this narrative of uh, originally it was MJ-12, it put, turned into Project Serpo, and uh, several other manifestations. I think of the original MJ-12, there was a great effort to put that over and convince people uh, it was all true. I, I, I divided into several phases. Uh, MJ-12-1 was uh, Stan Friedman, Bill Moore, Jamie Chandra, and uh, Richard Doty behind the scenes. And then uh, that, that somewhat died in the late 80s after there were just too many questions that were weighing down the claims. Uh, they, they just couldn't put it over the way they wanted it to. Yeah, but, you uh, know, to the end of his days, Friedman still maintained it was real. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I attribute that to Stan. Uh, when he latched on to information, he held on to it like a bulldog, and he wouldn't admit to anything being wrong with it. Uh, if you recall, he, he would absolutely support it uh, in every way. Uh, at least uh, from his point of view, with his involvement, if you if you look at the original Roswell story, as it came out you know, around nineteen seventy nine eighty or so, and you compare the narrative in, described in MJ twelve documents, you'll see that they're very very similar. There's all sorts of variations on the Roswell story, different crash sites, uh, different people involved. But the, the one that fits uh, Stan the most is what's in the MJ-12 papers. So he stuck with that because of that uh, likeness with, with his own thinking on it. He never let it go. I, I spoke to him a number of times, and you know, he, he knew where I stood on it, and uh, he just wouldn't uh, relent, not a bit. Every Everything was uh, valid as far as he was concerned. The documents were fine. Uh, he, he was uh, able to criticize other people's documents, though. Uh, the the MJ-12-2 version that came out around 1994, 95 or so, uh, that involved a uh, Tim Cooper, and he was relaying a, a new uh, set of revelations from a, a, a character he knew as, uh, I think, Can't Wheel or something like that, and he was receiving uh, classified documents through his P.O. box, and I thought, that that's crazy. I, I know how a box line works in the post office. He claimed that he would open his box and it'd be stuffed with uh, documents, classified, unclassified, different uh, uh, types of uh, papers and reporting and all. And uh, he'd look at it, and he'd just walk out of the post office with his arms full of them. And uh, yeah, when, when that surfaced, uh, originally I, I wrote up some of the information. I, I didn't want to spend 
a great deal of time on it because I felt that the original MJ-12 was was blown to pieces, and I had had to spend hundreds of hours on it, uh, researching all the different documents and uh, variations and and flaws in them and and testimony from uh, uh, these people. It, it just seemed like all of that to just get back to square one. It, it was a hoax as far as I was concerned, and and I didn't want to hear about it again. Well, here it was again in the mid-90s. And I, I did one piece on it, and I, I picked on one document in particular, uh, which had a, a strange anachronism in it about uh, – uh, an incident in, in Gallipoli, Turkey in 1915, where uh, there's an old story that uh, uh, soldiers involved with a, a, a British, uh, I think it was a regiment described at the time, had marched into a, a cloud. Hey, uh, let's uh, pursue this in our next segment with Barry and Gene and Kurt. You're in the Paracast. <laughs> for listening to GCN. Be sure to visit GCNlive.com today. Silver has always been nature's very own antibiotic, and only one system allows you to generate an endless supply of natural silver solutions. Silverlungs.com. You'll find no wild claims or pseudoscience, just a lifetime of nano-sized pure silver solutions. The Silver Lungs generator allows you to make your own, so stop paying for silver solutions. The unique lung delivery system targets respiratory infections where other silver solutions simply cannot reach. See the Silver Lungs generator and lung delivery system at Silverlungs.com. That's Silverlungs.com. Complement your health with hemp-derived cannabinoid oil. We've always believed that the closer to Earth, the better it is for our bodies. Our hemp-derived cannabinoid oil is phytocannabinoid-rich, full-spectrum, and organically grown. Finally, hemp made easy, clean, and effective. GCNHemp.com or call 877-878-4203. That's right, we cut through the red tape. It's now available at GCNHemp.com or call 877-878-4203. USA Radio News with Chris Barnes. The nation's highest court opens a new term on Monday, and this comes as the justices seem to be increasingly frustrated with each other and the news media and the expectations placed on the court. CNN judicial analyst Ariane DeVogue says it all comes at a really interesting time with that term starting on Monday. On the heels of the court dividing bitterly and allowing that Texas law to go into uh, effect. Referring there to the Supreme Court's inaction to stop a very restrictive abortion law in Texas, he's now known as the GOAT, the greatest of all time because of his performance over 20 years in New England and today for the first time since going to the Tampa Bay Bucks and immediately leaving. Leading them to a world championship, Tom Brady visits New England and Gillette Stadium to face the Patriots. And this is USA Radio News. Alex Jones, the Texas man who runs the website InfoWars, is going to have to pay up after claiming that the 2012 Sandy Hook school shootings in Connecticut were all a big hoax. Jones was found legally responsible in two lawsuits, and the lawyer for victims says... 
Finally, there's some accountability standard that he's now going to have to answer to. Attorney Bill Ogden saying he's never seen a case play out quite like this as Jones, who lives in Austin, didn't comply with court orders to provide information for the lawsuits, meaning he lost the cases by default. A jury will determine how much he owes. 20 kids were killed in that shooting along with six other people. California school students 12 years of age and older are now being required to get vaccinated against COVID-19, although Governor Gavin Newsom says the mandate won't really take effect until the FDA has fully approved the COVID-19 vaccine for ages 12 and up, which could happen as early as early November. This is USA Radio News. Now with orders to stay at home, public health concerns, the reality of illness due to pathogens and viruses. Your health is at an all-time high risk. That's why it's critical to take a proactive approach to boost your immune system. You can with new nano-colloidal silver from AmeriCare. Our patented process with tiny silver particles, one one-hundredth the size of a red blood cell, allows for maximum body absorption. AmeriCare's nano-colloidal silver effectively disinfects your body internally, attacking pathogens and viruses while supercharging your immune system. Colloidal silver is antibacterial and antiviral. Simply put, it prohibits bacterial respiration, suffocating viral cells, preventing the virus from replicating. And now, due to public health concern, AmeriCare is authorized to offer our lowest and best price ever, around a dollar a day. But supplies are limited. Purchase nano-colloidal silver now at immunesupportnow.com. That's immunesupportnow.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Supplies are limited. You're listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. Marched into a crowd, Barry? Tell us. A a cloud. A cloud. Sounds Uh, cloudy. They they called it a loaf-shaped cloud. And this group marched into it, and according to the witnesses uh, at the time, they said the cloud lifted off the ground, and not a soldier was in sight, and it took off and disappeared. So that entire regiment had vanished, and that's been a longstanding story in the subject over the years. It originated in 1965. When there was a reunion of the uh, the, the Anzac troops who invaded uh, Turkey during World War One, the Australian and New Zealand uh, soldiers who had banded together, and the group of them uh, they, they were eating and drinking, having a great time, and all, and and somehow a story came up from several of them, which they told, and then uh, were were asked to sign an affidavit attesting to this, which they did. And the affidavit was published in a magazine called Space View. When that came out, this story was so sensational that it was repeated in any number of other publications and books. But it had its origins in 1965. Space View magazine. Where do I remember that? That was a New Zealand publication by a fellow named Hank Henflar. Okay. And it was out, out quite a few years. The, uh, the MJ-12 papers, uh, as I said, I, I looked into one document, and it repeated the story. But 
the document was dated 1952. Hmm. So... How can something that began in 1965 appear in a 1952 document? And I brought this up to the uh, promoters of this. I think uh, was it Ryan and Robert Wood at the time. I said, how do you explain this? This document's real. This can't be the case. This incident didn't begin until many years after the document was written. And they, they sort of hedged and hawed about it and it never really uh, totally admitted that there was a real problem with it. So I, I felt with that document coming out with an assortment of other tainted documents, you can just write the whole thing off. If you have one bad apple in the bunch, the, the rest of them become associated with it. They came from the same source, which by the way, is anonymous and another anonymous source. If anyone read clear intent, they know what I think about anonymous sources. Uh, if you're going to produce documents on UFOs, make sure that you have proof that they come from government agencies and they have cover letters because if they come from mysterious sources, I don't even want to consider them. If you don't know where they come from, then what could are they? They could come from the local comic book store for all you know. So I don't give regard to un unsourced uh, information like that. Stan Friedman used to do so. He, he said that the, the things that come out through leaks are better than the, the things that were coming through FOIA. They said, oh, really? Well, you, you point to one leak that was more credible than documents coming through FOIA. And he was citing MJ-12. <laughs> it's just crazy because that was, again, unsourced. Uh, and Roswell was the center of a lot of this paperwork. It was. Uh, it seems like the, the Roswell case in particular, and I'm not a fan of it, but mm. of, of all the UFO events, there's been more hoaxed material that is crafted to support the Roswell story. Yeah, Roswell is the preeminent crashed UFO story. So if you're going to create suspicious documents, you're going to try to link it to something which is seemingly credible. Seemingly, I say. Because you're not even sure about some of the Roswell information. There's two Roswell stories, really. Again, like MJ-12, there were two Roswell stories. One was the original reporting, which you can see in old newspapers. And the debris was uh, consisted of sticks Balsa sticks, uh, rubberized material, tape with flowers on it. It, 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 you know, it sounded for all the world like the um, the, the radar targets that were going up. And in, in fact, that's what they said was the cause, uh, a down radar target. You had that. And then many years go by, three decades, and the story stays that way. Uh, there's never any suspicion about Roswell being something more than, than what it was originally reported to be. You had uh, the 1952 wave. You had the 1957 wave of activity. You had the big outburst in the mid-60s in the United States. Uh, not a single time during any of those very, very heavy active periods was Roswell presented as something bigger than it was. Nobody uh, uttered a peep. 
Now, you're, you're making the point that there was a lot of publicity and, uh, you know, anyone that wanted to come forward had ample opportunity for each one of these waves. Right, right. Anyone, and especially since uh, uh, there were uh, months and months on end when the the reports were coming in hot and heavy and the press was loaded with their front page stories, press was clamoring for any information at all, yet uh, in later years it had been said that there were at least 200 witnesses involved with Roswell, yet not one of those people surfaced during those earlier times to talk about it at all, or even say it was important. When it became important is the second phase of Roswell. This was, uh, I think it began in the late 70s, uh, around November, December or so of 1977. I had noticed uh, in one of my clipping service mailings that uh, Jimmy Carter at the time, had asked uh, his science advisor, Frank Press, to look into UFOs. And Press didn't quite know what to do. He, he went to, I think, what a lot of people would do uh, to ask, and that would be NASA. UFOs being maybe space vehicles, maybe NASA knows something. And he asked them about uh, uh, looking into UFO reports, investigating them again. And NASA's response uh, was, if you, anyone, can produce either artifacts or bodies from UFOs, they will launch a multi-million dollar investigation into them. So I think within a few months after that came out in the press, uh, Stan Friedman turned up Jesse Marcel. And Marcel began telling that story that he's he's famous for, a big debris field, miles covered by all of this debris, and so on. And um, Marcel coming out led to other people beginning to surface, uh, other witnesses saying, yeah, they remember that. And, you know, the, the military was there in force and people were threatened with weapons and all. That was a dramatic change from the original Roswell story. Uh, and, and again, alluding back to the earlier uh, waves of activity, where was all this back then? It was only after NASA said they would do a multi-million dollar investigation that all of these stories about Roswell bodies and uh, uh, debris uh, had surfaced. And it took off from there. That, that, that became much bigger than the original story. And I felt it was a highly embellished version of, of what happened at Roswell in 1947. You know, I'm going to want to ask you here what you think really happened at Roswell, because obviously that has become the ultimate legendary UFO sighting, even though, of course, the current Pentagon UAP task force pretends it never existed. Barry, Jean, and Kurt, you're in. Paracast. <laughs> for listening to GCN. Be sure to visit GCNlive.com today. Do you need a website? Well, you can get a great deal on hosting services with Namecheap's legendary coupon code. 
They're offering substantial hosting discounts on shared hosting, business hosting, VPS hosting, reseller hosting, and even dedicated servers. Namecheap is preferred by millions. It's backed by a money-back guarantee. Use the coupon code LEGENDARY to cash in on the special deal at Namecheap.com, Namecheap.com. First came Attack of the Rockoids, and it was a critically acclaimed success. And now there is the coming of the Protectors. A former military intelligence man is contacted by a space woman in a dream. A dream that turns out to be a nightmare, because evil forces on our distant planet are planning to conquer the Earth. This is gripping science fiction of the classic kind. Attack of the Rockoids and the coming of the Protectors. Find out more at Rockoids.com. That's Rockoids, R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S, dot com. What will you do if there's a sudden food shortage? Given recent headlines, it seems likely, and at any moment. That's why it makes common sense to build your emergency food storage supply now, while you still can. Do it with the kind of food that stays fresh for up to 25 years in storage. Food that doesn't go bad like what you get at the grocery store. Whose food should you trust? The largest preparedness company in America, My Patriot Supply. We've served millions of American families going on 14 years. At MyPatriotSupply.com, our mission is your survival. Our emergency food could definitely be your lifesaver when the peanut butter hits the fan. Choose from dozens of delicious meal kits that provide over 2,000 calories a day, which is what your body needs. Order today and your food will ship fast in unmarked boxes to protect your privacy. Don't wait. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com right now. MyPatriotSupply.com Now with orders to stay at home, public health concerns, the reality of illness due to pathogens and viruses, your health is at an all-time high risk. That's why it's critical to take a proactive approach to boost your immune system. You can with new nano-colloidal silver from AmeriCare. Our patented process with tiny silver particles, one one-hundredth the size of a red blood cell, allows for maximum body absorption. AmeriCare's nano-colloidal silver effectively disinfects your body internally, attacking pathogens and viruses while supercharging your immune system. Colloidal silver is antibacterial and antiviral. Simply put, it prohibits bacterial respiration, suffocating viral cells, preventing the virus from replicating. And now, due to public health concern, AmeriCare is authorized to offer our lowest and best price ever, around a dollar a day. But supplies are limited. Purchase nanocolloidal silver now at ImmuneSupportNow.com. That's ImmuneSupportNow.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Supplies are limited. Life can be full of risks. One thing you shouldn't take a risk with ever is your family's health insurance. If you're self-employed or you now need affordable health insurance, you need to make this free call right now and see how the health insurance helpline can help you get it. We specialize in helping the self-employed and people just like you that need affordable health insurance to get it. We have short and long-term health insurance plans and some even cover dental, vision, and prescription drugs. Don't take a risk with your family health insurance, it's not worth it. If you're self-employed or now need affordable health insurance, call right now and learn for free how to get it. Listen, affordable health insurance plans for everyone just like you are a free phone call away. So give us a shout right now. 800-670-0946. 800-670-0946. 800-670-0946. That's 800-670-0946. Thank <laughs> you. 
So how, to what degree do you think Roswell was embellished? Where does the real story lie? Anything beyond what the original reporting was is to me embellished, meaning huge amounts of metallic debris, eye beams with uh, writings on them, alien bodies. There are, there are, I think there are at least six different crash sites for Roswell that people have cited all asserting that that was the crash site. And some saying, well, two UFOs are involved, and they crashed in different places. The story became heavily embellished from what the original account was by all of these additions 30 years later, 30 years plus. Uh, you, you, you can't deal with a story that, that's that added to over time uh, and, and, and feel confident that that's what happened. The closer in time you, you have reporting, the more likely that's what happened. And that's the way news events happen. If you allow something to fester for 30 years and then try to remember detail again, you're going to get a lot of that detail wrong just by the vagaries of, of people's memories, uh, adding to what the original recollection was. So that that's what Roswell is to me. I, I've never been a supporter of it being an extraterrestrial Ooh. spacecraft. So what about the what about the case you mentioned earlier, the one that got you interested? The uh, and that must have been the, the Lonnie Zamora uh, yeah. the event at Socorro. Now do you feel that uh, that was stronger evidence? I, I feel that he had seen something that he couldn't identify. Uh, I don't know what that thing was and that that's been my stance all along with UFO reports. People uh, have asked me over the years, well, what do you believe about UFOs? And I said, I don't believe anything. I go by the information, what it what it, uh, it seems to indicate. I don't express my belief in what it is because nobody cares what I believe. They only care what can be shown uh, about these incidents and where that information points. So with Lonnie Zamora, uh, he, he saw this object. Two guys standing beside it, they disappear. It's a transient event. It, uh, one minute, nothing was happening. Next minute, you have this event that lasted, who knows, uh, minutes long. And then three, it, it takes off and disappears. So all you have left, what uh, there were marks in the ground about some heavy object laying there. There were, there were burn marks left behind on some of the bushes. Nothing in particular, could be determined from that, except uh, whatever it was was heavy and it, it had flame. Uh, what was that? I don't know. I can't tell you. I can't. Uh, I would be embellishing if I tried to uh, express an opinion such as it was a space vehicle of some sort. I have no grounds for saying that. But it's, it's an unidentified object that flew. And that's as far as I go uh, with the phenomenon until better information comes along and we've been waiting 74 years for better information and we're still waiting. Well, in the case of the, the Socorro event, that was documented at the time. 
And, right. you know, and the witnesses were not produced decades later. So there's a lot of contemporary information and there's pages of blue book documents on it. Mm. So there's there's things that you can work with and you can you're probably not going to learn anything new. But, you know, you can see that the information is there, the, the the people. We know who the people were. You know, it is not mysterious. And, and there's not a lot of games played with the story. Yeah, yeah. Right. I, I, you know, you ask about credibility. I would say in, in terms of credibility, probably Sakura was better than Roswell because uh, much of the data gathered on it was contemporaneous. It was done at the time when memories were fresh and people were able to get their recollections down in detail. Uh, whereas with Roswell, you, you had to let decades go by before you had such detailed recollections uh the original story there was there were no ufo organizations there was no air force organization investigating the topic you had to rely on you know scuttlebutt and uh, what was in the newspapers at the time that to me is more credible than the distant recollections and the fact also too i think there is only uh, one uh, document that the government ever produced uh, from that time on uh, the incident. It was an FBI document describing pretty much what the press was talking about then. Nothing has been found since discussing Roswell as, as an extraterrestrial vehicle in any way, shape, or form. There's no such documentation. Now, you could say, well, it was all picked up and taken away, but prove it. Prove that that happened. It, it's a supposition that may or may not be true. It's been made really famous. And a lot of people who come in, and there are always new people coming in, get interested in UFOs. They'll see, you know, on Facebook or Twitter or television shows. What would you recommend to some of these people that are that are drawn in? How can they gravitate towards more credible information? That's a very interesting question because we've debated that uh, for a long time amongst you know people I know and organizations trying to uh, uh, let the public know what's what's credible and what isn't. There's an awful lot of uh, uh, garbage out there that purports to be UFO research. And the longer you're in it, generally, the more you should be able to learn about these uh, issues and, and to be able to uh, distinguish what's good and bad information. But uh, communication is a problem, too, because there are, there are probably hundreds of uh, podcasts, uh, uh, Internet sites uh, on UFOs and all telling, uh, you know, different variations on the same theme. How do you figure out what's what? Uh, I, I would suggest, uh, uh, as I mentioned earlier, uh, anything that comes from anonymous sources, disregard. If you're going to look into something, check to see if there's a lot of research done on it. What the research says, do they jump to conclusions about the research that are unwarranted, or do they stay within a, a, a group of facts that have been established about the story? Uh, use science. Use scientific thinking when you're assessing all of these different sites and see if those people practice that. And I guarantee you, it, it's very easy to determine uh, that a lot of these sites don't practice good science. 
apply that and and you'll be better off because I think you'll uh, you'll be able to assess information in a much better fashion and not really not fool yourself or fool other people uh, as a result. Uh, you mentioned you mentioned sites. Now, there's two that I've seen your name associated with, and uh, one is uh, the NICAP site and uh, the uh, QFOS site. And you mentioned that you're doing scanning work for, uh, I guess, the files of both. Now, I, yeah. I, before we get away from it, I think we need to hear about what's what's happened there, who you're working with, and what you found. Right, right. Um, uh, I had decided in, uh, let's see, 2017, uh, I had known that the files of the Center for UFO Studies plus NICAP, they were both uh, together, uh, were part of Alan Hynek's original idea on, on uh, having a scientific UFO organization. But um, uh, around 2010, uh, it, it, it became evident that they were going to have to leave their headquarters uh, uh, in Evanston, Illinois, uh, you know, finances, rents, and all of that, that catches up with the group. So uh, uh, the files were parceled off in, in two different directions. Uh, the, uh, I think mostly the books and some files went to the home of the president of uh, KUFOS, Mark Rodiger. And the case files and periodicals and other paraphernalia had gone to uh, uh, the, the group's webmaster, Mary Kastner. And she had the uh, records in her basement. And I, I had gotten to know Mary through other uh, inquiries and research and all. And, and she had mentioned uh, having the Kufos files in her, in her basement, made over basement, not a damp basement. Uh, so I, I thought, gee, I wonder if I can just go out there for a week or so and see if I could uh, pull some files that I, I wasn't able to pull before. I, I visited there when they had the headquarters earlier, but I only could spend a few hours at a time, and it just wasn't adequate considering they had something like 58 file drawers full of cases. A fascinating trip we're taking to the history of serious UFO research with Barry Greenwood and Gene and Kurt Collins. You're in the Paracast. Thank you for listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. Attack of the Rockoids has been well-received by critics and readers alike. It's a -a thrill-a-minute story you'll never forget. A former U.S. military intelligence officer is haunted by intense dreams about a beautiful woman pleading for his help after a terrible battle in outer space. But the dreams turn out to be true and thrust him into a telepathic love affair with a woman whose faraway planet is intent on destroying the Earth. And now the gripping tale continues in The Coming of the Protectors. It's the second book of the Rockoids trilogy, a galaxy-spanning adventure that pits our hapless heroes against powerful, fanatical enemies that threaten the lives of freedom-loving beings everywhere. Attack of the Rockoids and The Coming of the Protectors, classic science fiction at its best, available now. For more details, visit rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. 
Do you have a home that you don't want anymore? We can buy it from you within 24 hours. Any home, size, or condition. For over 20 years, we've been buying homes for cash and helping homeowners sell their homes immediately with no listings or strangers walking through your home. Are you moving? Did you lose your job? going through a divorce. Whatever the reason, if you're in a bind and you know that you need to sell your house fast, call the expert team at I Need to Sell My House Fast. We'll make you a serious cash offer to buy your home in 24 hours and let you walk away from it. No listing, no waiting. Sell any home, any size, any condition now. Call the expert team at I Need to Sell My House Fast. Make this free call now. How many file cabinets did you say? Well, I, I counted 58 file drawers. Okay. Just of uh, cases, case histories and all. Uh, they had much more material on, on with monographs and letters and correspondence and all, but uh, it, 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 the case histories were of interest. So I, I arranged with Mary to go out there, and she kindly put me up. And I, I initially I copied or scanned, I should say, 275 what I thought were important files and I wasn't sure at all if I were it was going to be able to go out there again it, it depended on the good graces of Mary and her in her household so I did that and uh, uh, she suggested that I could come back again and at that point that was 2018 I decided to this time do a systematic uh, scanning of their records. Uh, the technology was such that scanning was, was way better than any attempt to photocopy all of that. That's now old, <laughs> old technology. The scanning would, would, I think, get a uh, more accurate image of what these files were. So I started, uh, let me see, I, uh, in the 50s, I, I picked certain file drawers, uh, mainly around UFO wave periods, and I would just begin with the first folder and work my way to the back of the drawers. And I would do that repeatedly for different drawers and, and, and the amount of time I had to scan them. And I was able to accomplish quite a bit, tens of thousands of pages of scans. If uh, I, I work from about nine in the morning till uh, midnight. And maybe a little past midnight. It was uh, grueling, but uh, if I had only two weeks to work on them, I wanted to get as much done as possible. And I wasn't going to be able to do that by sitting around watching television. So that that was a pretty tight effort to, to scan. And I, I went through that. And uh, then I was able to go back again in 2019 and do more, you know, weeks more worth of work and all. And and I was able to pretty much do everything I wanted to do in the 50s and 60s and even the uh, earlier times. They had historical files, which I had completely copied as well. So in 2019, I, I left off 
I think I only had a little bit of uh, 1965 to do, uh, most of 1966 and part of 1967. And on that third trip, I was accompanied by Jan Aldrich, who's another uh, Yoho historian, who uh, he, he went through uh, the, the later 60s, and I was working my way up through the mid-60s. And we left off then, and the uh, COVID hit, so we had to skip a year. But just a few weeks ago, we were out there and and working on the files, where this time they had been transferred to Albuquerque, New Mexico. From Chicago? From area. Chicago, yeah, because they... Uh, I think they were having logistics moves trying to place the files, I think, where they most would be useful. And uh, with Albuquerque, a gentleman named Dave Mahler became a board member of CUFOS, and he uh, he opened his own collection to hosting the CUFOS files uh, because he, he had created a succession plan in case anything happened to him, the files would Uh, eventually go to the University of uh, New Mexico, where they had wonderful facilities for for storing records. I I was given a tour of that uh, when I first went out there, and uh, it seemed like a really good uh, way to approach this. And Dave is a very efficient, very skilled archivist now. Uh, He had his own collection to begin with, and he he had uh, a very nice building uh, to put all these files in, and he's going to be expanding it uh, uh, eventually. Uh, it's, it was looking very promising. Some some funding's coming in, and uh, he's able to improve the thing. But I, I was there for two weeks, beginning uh, September 5th, and we did the same thing up, up in the morning, work on them, and uh, quit by about midnight. So... We, I think we, we pretty much have the 60s almost done. There's still some uh, in, in 67 to do, but uh, I, I wasn't feeling good when I went out there because uh, the high altitude of Albuquerque, it's it's a mile up, and and I have an air condition where the, it, it seems that the high altitude really bothered it. And uh, uh, I, I was somewhat incapacitated because of that for for a bit, but I was able to catch up with what I wanted to do and surpass it. I finished 1966, which was really the biggest year that they had. It was like six file drawers full of uh, those case records, and uh, towards the end, I was able to get through that and begin a little bit of 67 before we had to quit again. So uh, it, it's been going very well. We have uh, scanned copies of a great deal of KUFOS and NICAP records now that survive outside of where the hard copy is. Will there ears. ever be any hope of scanning the records from APRO? This, ladies yep. and gentlemen, is the Aerial Phenomena Research Organization that was the one headed by Jim and Coral Lorenzen. Last I heard, they were in a file cabinet in the garage, a bunch of file cabinets. Uh, There's varying stories. I think the most credible one is that they're still in the hands of a couple named uh, Brian Myers and Tina Schott. And they were the people that picked up the APRO files originally and essentially uh, just took them away from the research community and kept them wherever. 
I, I think they're in the area of Sedona, Arizona, and and uh, there were rumors, of course, that they were stored in a trailer. And the trailer had, I think the original file count was something like 18 file cabinets and uh, numerous boxes. I, I've seen a photograph of their files from way back when the, uh, the Lorenzans were still alive. So we have somewhat of an image of, of what was there. It's, it's probably a considerable amount of volume uh, if, if they're ever surrendered for scanning and all that would be great but you think that there's no value just sticking a bunch of file cabinets somewhere at some point you have to decide what am i to do with this right i you know if, if one does research and accumulate a lot of information through hard work and all um, and you put those reports and all away and they're not shared well, they're not copied, uh, nothing's done with them, it, they, they may as well burn. Uh, they're useless to anyone else who, who might have a, an interest in, in consulting the information given. And uh, that prompted this new effort, uh, what, which is what I call preservation and dissemination. One, you want to make sure the files survive. Uh, the best way to do that is to scan them, and then dissemination, which is taking those scans and placing full copies of them in different places. So uh, there's no real possibility that they will ever disappear. I mean, with hard copy, you, know, you could have a fire, uh, you know, an asteroid could hit the house and destroy everything, and it's gone if, it's, if that's all there is. But this assures that the information survives in some fashion. And that's why I think it's probably the number one project that anyone could become involved with in this subject, because you're saving the history of it, which is very precarious. Now, in terms of that, I'm going to ask you about what we can do with it once we've got it all scanned. I suppose there are lots and lots of ideas of what to do with a vast treasure trove of digital files including UFO files from the 1950s going into the point where the digital divide came together. Barry Greenwood, Gene Steinberg, Kurt Collins, you're in the Paracast. Do you need a website? Well, you can get a great deal on hosting services with Namecheap's legendary coupon code. They're offering substantial hosting discounts on shared hosting, business hosting, VPS hosting, reseller hosting, and even dedicated servers. Namecheap is preferred by millions. It's backed by a money-back guarantee. Use the coupon code LEGENDARY to cash in on the special deal at Namecheap.com, Namecheap.com. First came Attack of the Rockoids, and it was a critically acclaimed success. And now there is the coming of the Protectors. A former military intelligence man is contacted by a space woman in a dream, a dream that turns out to be a nightmare because evil forces on our distant planet are planning to conquer the Earth. This is gripping science fiction of the classic kind. Attack of the Rockoids and the coming of the Protectors. Find out more at Rockoids.com. That's Rockoids, R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S.com. 
First, we decide where we want to go. Then we need to know the best way to get there. Hi, my name is Adam Barada. I'm the owner of Advantage Gold. We're the highest rated precious metals firm in the country. We teach people how to own physical gold and silver. Now, we've won the Best of Trust Link Award four years in a row because we educate our clients on how to buy gold and silver the right way. We don't pay celebrity spokespeople millions of dollars. We'd rather pass that value on to you. Call 800-900-8000 and speak with one of our experts. We'll send you a free gold kit along with my latest number one national best-selling book, The Great Devaluation. Call 800-900-8000. That's 800-900-8000. Get the best information, the best process, the best service, the best value. Call Advantage Gold at 800-900-8000. Call 800-900-8000. No matter how large or small your digging project may be, no matter how urban or rural... You must always call 811 before any digging project. 811 is our national one-call number, alerting your local utility companies to come out and mark any lines they have near your dig site. So before you do this or this, make sure you do this. For digging projects big or small, make the call to 811. Brought to you by Common Ground Alliance. Stop aging now. Restore those joints. Boost your strength. Because it's official. Nutramedical has released the most exciting, powerful anti-aging supplement on the market. Dr. Bill Deagle's Red Deer Velvet DR has been approved by the U.S. Patent Office. Imagine stem cell rejuvenation all in one capsule without huge expense. Dr. Bill MD discovered that as an unborn baby grows in the mother's womb, he or she does not deteriorate or physically age. Red Deer Velvet DR, like the uterus, provides 300 biomolecules and six hormones protected in one special DR capsule that delivers lipid packages directly into your circulation. This patented technology bypasses the stomach and is released into the small bowel unaltered by digestive enzymes and stomach acid. Remember, Red Deer Velvet DR. Improve endurance, stimulate your immune system, increase learning ability, and even improve sexual libido with Red Deer Velvet DR. Click NutriMedical.com. That's N-U-T-R-I Medical.com. Or call toll-free 888-212-8871 and get on the road to a newer, rejuvenated, happier you. Frustrated trying to get business capital? Want to take the slow process and rejection out of the equation? GCNloans.com removes the slow, irritating approval process. Instead, get quick, simple funding. Powered by David Allen Capital, 80% of our pre-qualified clients are approved in days. Pre-qualify at GCNloans.com and get your money this week. It's that easy. GCNloans.com. That's GCNloans.com. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. Okay, so let's look at that, Barry Greenwood. You're scanning all this stuff. It then becomes searchable? Yes. Uh, well, to, to a point, I mean, there's a lot of uh, scanned material. It's difficult to search. Uh, for example, handwritten accounts, uh, uh, many of the forms that were filled out years ago by witnesses were filled out in whatever they had available uh, at hand. Uh, they, the mo- they weren't mostly typewritten. They were handwritten. Lots of folks chose to use light pencils 
to fill in their forms. Now, I, I noted a problem when I was scanning the, the, the such documents that when you have the scanners on a particular setting, they'll, they'll get most normal printed pages or handwritten pages. But uh, when you use a light pencil, uh, you can't see it on the, the scans. The scans are set for something denser than that, and they don't pick up the, the light print. So when I was uh, scanning uh, the, the forms, I had to uh, single them out and adjust them manually uh, to make that print come out. And it did come out. But if someone had sent off these files to some uh, company uh, that, that did scanning work and all, I don't think they, they take the effort uh, to adjust for oddities in, in the printed documents. So uh, there was the potential that you would lose information even while you're scanning. That had to be done, uh, to me, meticulously to make sure you didn't lose anything. I think we uh, successfully did that. We we always adjusted the exposures, and also the documents would come out uh, very readable. That was something I'd wondered about because that's a lot of a lot of work for some seemingly overqualified researchers who should be analyzing material, and you're having to work in a sense like copy boys. But you're making the point that you're you're acting more as curators as you go and preserve yeah. the material. Well, we, we had no choice uh, but to get into the weeds with it. To do work like that, you have to do two things. You have to uh, first prep the files, meaning those old records are full of staples, rusted paper clips, uh, dirty tape, sometimes adhesive that was used instead of anything like staples or clips. We had to prepare those documents by getting rid of all of that first, uh, which wasn't easy. Uh, you need a tetanus shot before you do work like that because you stick your fingers with these old staples. You're asking for it. Once that's done, then you just you have a pile of folders. You pass it along to the scanner. Now, the, the device we used at, in Albuquerque was a very high-end scanner, which I think uh, other organizations should consider investing in. It's not cheap, but it does much better work than a, a simple tabletop scanner. It ran pages through like a machine gun, and it was very good as far as uh, scanning quality. We set everything to accommodate every possibility, and we did them uh, as JPEGs rather than PDF files, which I think a lot of people like to do, uh, simply because with the, the JPEG files that we created for each page, we could, uh, if there were any problems or flaws in them, we could run them through a Photoshop program and, and correct those problems. The we only thing about JPEG, though, is it's a lossy medium. So it compresses the file, and as you save the file, you're compressing it and reducing the quality. We had the file scanned at 300 dpi, which was an optimum thing for printed documents. I've seen scans done at lower than that, and they were horrible. These were coming in fine. When we make the adjustments, it doesn't reflect any loss of resolution, anything noticeable at all. 
how closely would one need to go in on a printed document to see it's like an individual letter and all if it's slightly fuzzy slightly i mean it's not noticeable when you shrink the document back to normal size we only use it to uh, correct and smooth out problems and flaws uh, but otherwise, the documents reproduce fine. We've checked them. The only time we, we need to change the resolution is when it involves photographs. If you do uh, black and white or color photographs at 300 DPI, you're going to get a, a Picasso rather than anything useful. So we had to kick it up to 600 DPI, and that seems to do the job. Uh, if we were able to kick it up higher than that, we would, but that was the limit at the time. And they, they, they're doing just fine. If any of those photos that we scanned are determined later to need uh, analysis, the originals are still in the hard copy. And we can retrieve them very easily, and the originals can be made available for analysis. Uh, the, the scanned copies are simply for information to do research now that's the next step of course you get all this stuff copied and you have a digital record so where and when do the researchers have at it when we're able to get it straightened out and posted this is a relatively new project and it takes a long time because of the sheer volume of the records out there this is a multi-year project for me, and we're still not done. I, uh, we barely started the 1970s, and then the records that exist for that. I think it would probably go a little better in terms of scanning because the documents during that period tend to be a little bit cleaner than the uh, previous decades. Uh, previous decades, like I said, you had tape and clippings stuck on pages and labels falling off. We had to fix all that. In, in the 70s and on, uh, researchers had tended to uh, uh, do better in making up a, a particular case folder and all. So they use photocopies a lot. Uh, if there are originals there, you know, they, they tended to put them together with better quality. They didn't use sticky tape or or punch staples through so much so uh, the the preparation of those records would, i think would be easier and it, the job would go a little bit quicker i estimated that with what's remaining of the 1970s at kufos uh we could probably get close to to finishing that and probably two more two-week trips which isn't that bad But after, so after that, that, David yeah. Morrow already has uh, some of the uh, he's he's digitized some of the audio tapes when the not NICAP files and has those on his site. So right. it, it, things are beginning to be shared. But the, yeah. for the de the documents, some of these will be along, you know, uh, sometime coming. Yeah, and, uh, I mean, it, it, again, it, it's it's so much to do uh, in this trip. I, I did thirty, close to thirty-five thousand scans. Whoa, that's a lot of work. Barry Greenwood joining us here. He's talking about archiving older UFO report records, trying to put things together and create the climate for some research with Gene and with Kurtrian. The Paracast. Thank you.
you for listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. What if you could cut your heating bills this winter with your existing wood-burning fireplace and not spend thousands doing it? You can with Great Wall of Fire Fireplace Grates. Our U.S. patented, made-in-America Wall of Fire Grates increase fireplace efficiency, eliminate fireplace smoke problems, and come with a 30-day money-back guarantee. See our grates in action and get free shipping from walloffire.com or call 800-274-7364. Fireplace heat without fireplace smoke. Walloffire.com. Silver has always been nature's very own antibiotic, and only one system allows you to generate an endless supply of natural silver solutions. SilverLungs.com. You'll find no wild claims or pseudoscience, just a lifetime of nano-sized pure silver solutions. The Silver Lungs Generator allows you to make your own, so stop paying for silver solutions. The unique lung delivery system targets respiratory infections where other silver solutions simply cannot reach. See the Silver Lungs Generator and Lung Delivery System at SilverLungs.com. That's SilverLungs.com. USA Radio News. I'm Brad Bernards. Senator Ron Johnson, Republican of Wisconsin, claimed that the U.S. still doesn't have an FDA-approved vaccine as he exposed what was really approved by the government agency on Fox News primetime. We do not have an FDA-approved vaccine being administered in the U.S. The FDA you know, played a bait-and-switch. They, they approved the Comirnaty version of Pfizer drug. It's not available in the U.S. They even admit it. I sent them a letter three days later going, what, what are you doing? What they did is they extended the emergency use authorization for the Pfizer drug vaccine that's available in the U.S. He called the mandate for all Americans to get vaccinated against the virus unconstitutional. Former President Donald Trump asked a federal judge to force Twitter to reinstate his account in a civil lawsuit filed in Florida on Friday. Trump, along with several other plaintiffs, says that Twitter's ban of his account violated the First Amendment. This is USA Radio News. On Thursday's broadcast of CNN's Out Front, House Budget Committee Chairman John Yarmuth, Democrat of Kentucky, said that $3.5 trillion in spending under the reconciliation bill is pretty inconsequential when you consider all the benefits to the American people. It's not a question of what we can afford. The, the federal government can afford anything that it feels it needs to do. And right now, that's what we ought to be focused on. So, um, you know, that's kind of the position I took on, on, in the Budget Committee. That's the position I will take going forward. China sent another 20 fighter jets into Taiwan's air defense identification zone on Saturday, just one day after the communist regime deployed 38 fighter jets over the island nation in the largest display of force to date. That incursion was followed by China's largest display of force this year after the communist authority sent dozens of military jets that included multiple H-6 bombers with nuclear capabilities. This is USA Radio News. Get healthy, not high, with 100% pure CBD, powerful natural pain relief from Veterans Vitality. GCN listeners, have you ever thought about how CBD may help you? I'm sure you have heard about the many benefits of CBD. Well, here's your opportunity to try before you buy. Created by veterans and for everyone who deserves better choices, our CBD is derived from organic hemp, grown in the USA, and third-party tested. Veterans Vitality CBD saves you as much as 25 to 50% over our competition, and a portion of all sales is contributed to Veterans 
healthcare, nonprofits, and events. Many of our customers have experienced improved quality of life, help with anxiety, PTSD, and overall well-being. Our products do not contain THC. They are safe, non-addictive, effective, and 100% legal. GCN listeners, get your free trial bottle of premium CBD by simply paying shipping and handling at GCNFreeCBD.com. That's GCNFreeCBD.com. Again, GCNFreeCBD.com. Offered by Veterans Vitality Premium CBD. This is Micah Hanks of the Grayling Report, and you're listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. This is obviously something that someone isn't giving you a large check to do. But looking at the UFO investigative picture, we've got people like you, not too many, going out there trying to get all these records together in a way that anyone who has some kind of digital access can look at those records and do something with them one hopes. Do you think some real answers are found there? That we can possibly find some significant evidence about UFOs in all these things you guys are putting well, together? I, I, it's hard to predict what will come out of that information. I, I certainly hope something useful will come out of it, but we, we won't know until it's uh, thoroughly digested and uh, studied in, in great detail. A lot of the people that created the early records are long gone now, so we've lost that perspective uh, of what they knew what was going on then there may have been some lost detail and all it didn't get into the folders we can only deal with what's in those folders now that those folks are gone so it, it's uh, it's hard to predict what results will come of it i, I think we can probably improve uh, the quality of some of the casework because uh, over time uh, when we look at them uh, there are many new means to uh, get ad- additional information uh, such as a person reports a sighting in a particular place, uh, we can now check the uh, local press or other resources, a library, to uh, tell if, if there's more information that could be added to the uh, testimony and what people give. It's a long shot, obviously, you know, given the amount of time that's passed. It's, it's a cold case investigation of these reports, but Cold case investigations are very popular with people now. If you look at television. Well, of course, they actually did a TV show once, Cold Case, where they'd look into old murder mysteries. Right. Right. So, but the thing uh, I was thinking here, though, also, it reminds me of something that Kevin D. Randall does from time to time called Chasing Footnotes, where he'll look up a specific sighting go back to all the original references, if they're available, of course, to try to get the source material and see where it's not just somebody copying somebody's book who then copied somebody else's book. And by the time you reach the third generation or fourth generation of books, you don't really have an accurate picture as to what really happened. Yeah, I try enormously to track down the original sources in any instance, and uh, yeah, we check footnotes, we, we check what's in those footnotes and determine if they drew from reliable sources or from uh, you know other UFO pulp literature. The best thing we can do is find where the story began, the, the initial 
source or, or revelation of information and uh, make sure that that's the, the primary bit of information backing up a case file. We find them, we, we put them in the case folder and say, here it is, this is where we trace the story back to. I do that with the bibliographic work, too, with, uh, remove from case files and all. Uh, I, I made an effort to create a, a, a bibliography of uh, UFO articles that have been published worldwide since the beginning of the phenomenon. And and I, I found myself having to correct the references. There were wrong years given, wrong page numbers, wrong titles that all had to be fixed. And I had to figure out uh, if, if there is a flaw in a reference, uh, uh, what was the mistake and can we retrieve the item that was intended to be the, the source of that reference that's inaccurate. So I've done that for years and years, too. Well, at your site, I see where you have inventories, uh, and I hear um, from mutual friends, you have an enormous collection of UFO literature, books, magazines, and, and uh, even uh, recordings, um, and videotapes. That must be massive. Well, yeah, I mean, it takes, I guess, three rooms in the house here, and it, it's it's been the result of, uh, well, let me see now, 1964, it's been, what, 57 years since I started doing that, so it's it's bound to accumulate, uh, but uh, it's, it's in order, much of it's cataloged, which is what I really wanted to do, I, I wanted to let people know that uh, we not only have the references, but we also have a copy of the references. You can you can have a reference that alludes to something, you may not have it. I have it so that you can get that original source. I pull them out of the libraries and log them in and and uh, there they are. So it that yeah, that, that accumulates. Uh, I think there's about 17 file crates of articles uh, just uh, there's something over 300 volumes of news clippings and I'm talking about you know, two, three-inch binders and up. And that's a lot of information. And I've, I've, it's gotten so out of control that I've had to resort to digital filing of, of news clippings now. And I store them on the hard drive so that uh, uh, when I need to send them out, if someone is looking for information, I can just press a few buttons and off they go. Uh, we didn't have that technology before, so I had to... Uh, put them into hard copy binders. Oh, wow. Have you reached any point here where you've been able to trace back some cases to original references and maybe at least discard them? Uh, and to what now? To what was the yeah, last part? Let's go back to the original reference and find, well, maybe there wasn't much to it, so we can set this one aside. Oh, Have yeah, you encountered yeah, that- much of that? Uh, you know, some, I, I, you know, I think uh, the subsequent information in, in casework, you can find a factor. Uh, uh, sometimes a news clipping will tell you that there was a, uh, a missile launch days after the original report was published. And, and we may only have that initial report without the follow on. And when we find the follow on that can explain it and we can just put that away as as an identified incident. I don't discard them, though. That's the thing that, that some people do that I won't do because 
I find it to be very valuable to, to learn uh, in doing investigations uh, that you have to cover maybe more than what you have in your hands to tell if something is explainable or not. I, I look for weeks sometimes after the uh uh, the reports are published and see if there's a, a follow-on or a letter to the editor where someone might uh, have a, a key bit of information about uh, what happened. So I keep all of that uh, available. I, I discard nothing. Well, earlier in the show, you were talking about Roswell, for example, where mm. what happened, what really happened has been embellished over the years, especially since so much stuff came out. 30 years after the event, all these stories. Is there any source where someone who wants to know about Roswell can just look at it and say, this is a pretty good idea of what happened? Um, well, there's a lot of wide opinion on it. I, uh, you know, If I'm going to suggest something, it's going to be uh, away from the, the, the bodies and exotic debris idea because they felt that wasn't well grounded. So uh, I, I would be more inclined to point to a source that would uh, stick by the original reporting on it and, and not get into the, the wilderness of, of what happened 30 years later, which can be deceptive. There's some good information there, but uh, I, I just can't uh, buy that it was a... Uh, a crash of a spaceship or interdimensional ship or whatever you want to call it. Well, certainly if you go back to the original reference, a flying disc crashed. No, it was nothing more than a balloon. Here's the picture. Here's Marcel with his balloon. And that's the end of the story. So if we mm. go back to the original source, that's the original source material. Yeah. yeah. Well, We've got more to come with Barry Greenwood. One more segment, and then we're going to rope him in for our After the Paracast premium show. With Gene and with Kurt, you're in the Paracast. You are listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. Hey, listeners. I want you to have the entire Paracast experience. So I'd like to tell you about After the Paracast. After the Paracast is an exclusive feature for subscribers to the Paracast Plus. With After the Paracast, you never know what's going to happen next. After the Paracast features color commentary, special interviews, and further conversations with Paracast guests. With Paracast Plus, you can download a very special enhanced version of the Paracast also. We do offer exclusive music, videos, and more features are coming. To get more info about subscribing, please visit theparacast.plus. Once again, theparacast.plus. Prices are just $1.50 a week, less than a cup of coffee at your local convenience store. Check out the Paracast.plus to learn more about Paracast Plus. 
We know that the 1% globalist elites have hijacked and subverted the U.S. economy, culture, and government. The battle to take America back begins with Scott McKay, the Patriot Street Fighter, and his Advancing the Fork and Line Tour. Now here's Scott. Hi, this is Scott McKay, better known as Patriot Street Fighter, the high-octane, full-throttle truth hammer, and I'm bringing the Advancing the Fork and Line Tour to a city near you. I and a host of other speakers will be on stage with an arsenal of issues from health rights, human rights, and the freedom given to us by the founding fathers who drafted the Constitution for the United States of America. This is a ticketed event, and you can get tickets at PatriotStreetFighter.com. I'm looking forward to personally seeing many of you there. The Patriot Street Fighter advancing the fork and line tour tickets can be purchased at PatriotStreetFighter.com. For tour dates and information, or to purchase your tickets, go to PatriotStreetFighter.com. That's PatriotStreetFighter.com. Now with orders to stay at home, public health concerns, the reality of illness due to pathogens and viruses, your health is at an all-time high risk. That's why it's critical to take a proactive approach to boost your immune system. You can with new nano-colloidal silver from AmeriCare. Our patented process with tiny silver particles, one one-hundredth the size of a red blood cell, allows for maximum body absorption. AmeriCare's nano-colloidal silver effectively disinfects your body internally, attacking pathogens and viruses while supercharging your immune system. Colloidal silver is antibacterial and antiviral. Simply put, it prohibits bacterial respiration, suffocating viral cells, preventing the virus from replicating. And now, due to public health concern, AmeriCare is authorized to offer our lowest and best price ever, around a dollar a day. But supplies are limited. Purchase nanocolloidal silver now at ImmuneSupportNow.com. That's ImmuneSupportNow.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Supplies are limited. Hi, I'm Dr. Joel Wallach, the Dead Doctors Don't Lie guy, formerly Air Force Lieutenant Colonel, Air National Guard and Reservist. I'm looking for veterans, active duty military personnel to join the 90 for Life Crusade to save America. She needs your skills, courage, and loyalty more than ever. Contact GCNteam.com. Because of the financial and health care collapse, veterans are currently struggling finding jobs. Frustrated looking for a job? Change your tactics. Join the 90 for Life Crusade to save America. Start a health care business with FDI Longevity 90 for Life Crusade. Contact GCNteam.com immediately. We're looking for military specialists who can use a computer and communicate information and execute a battle plan. Join the admirals, Navy SEALs, Marines, pilots, Army officers, military police, sheriffs, police officers, firemen, and first responders already enrolled in the 90 for Life Crusade. Contact GCNteam.com now. FDI Longevity will help you apply your military skills to the task of saving America through health and financial programs. Contact GCNteam.com. Enlist in GCNteam.com and save America. author of the UFO Encyclopedia and other books. You're listening to the Paracast. So that's where I was really going back to with Roswell, Barry Greenwood, Mm -hmm. which is if we're going to look at the original version, the original version is those two stories. Unfortunately, we don't have books that were published on the Roswell incident between 1947 and 1979 or 80. Nothing was published about it, so that, that you have a complete lack of uh, of detailed reporting into that story. You're forced to deal with the original incident, but you recognize when you look at that and then you compare it to information years later that there's a vast gulf 
between what they said then and, and, and now. There's tons of books on Roswell now. There were some people that believed that at one point that if Roswell collapsed, all of ufology collapsed. And then it's so ridiculous because there's so many other good cases, not necessarily of, of finding bodies. But so how do you feel about that? What are some other cases that if you were interested in Roswell and you're disappointed, what else can you dig your teeth into? Oh, there are many, many reports. I mean, you know, when you speak of Roswell, that happened on the tail end of the 1947 UFO wave. There was a lot going on before that news story hit on July 8th. That was the wave. It wasn't Roswell. Roswell didn't dominate that wave. It was just a, like the little red light at the end of, you know, of a procession of UFOs as in close encounters. There was much more to that that time frame. And uh, if I were to pick cases, I mean, everybody has their own list of top 10 they think are, are compelling incidents. My usual favorite is uh, an incident that happened in Leveland, Texas in November 1957, where there were multiple sightings of a huge egg-shaped object that had knocked out the ignition systems of uh, vehicles all over the Leveland area at the time. It had been prominently reported in the news. And at one point, Life magazine, which was one of the top publications of its day, uh, had gone out and taken photographs and had done a story. Unfortunately, for some reason, he never published it. But if you look in the Life magazine photo archives, which I think it might be under Google Books, I'm not sure I, I've consulted it before, but there are a, a large assortment of photographs that they had taken there, along with uh, many other incidents uh, that they had reported on in the past. Leveland is, is one of my favorites because with, with all of those seeming electromagnetic interference uh, incidents going on and the, the large amount of witness reporting, the Air Force chose to explain it as possible manifestation of ball lightning. And I thought that was hilarious because what they were doing was essentially explaining an unexplained phenomenon with another unexplained phenomenon. Because ball lightning still hasn't been totally fleshed out for the scientific community. There's still doubts about it, oddly enough, even though it, it seems that it's, it's pretty solid. Well, with that case, there seems to be some things that, uh, you know, with the number of witnesses, the physical effects, something really seems to have happened. But, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean it was an alien spaceship. Right. But, but that's that's fine yeah. with me. I, I, I regard any unexplained phenomenon as, as part of it. It doesn't right. have to involve aliens. Well, that's the point here, to find out what they are, not to prove someone's pet theory. But unfortunately, right. I kind of think... Far too many people want to prove the pet theory. Yeah, yeah, that's probably a majority of the people in the subject, unfortunately. I don't want that's, to say MUFON, but... Hey, okay, yeah, you, okay, I'll say it. Cause that, well, you had a number of years' experience with MUFON. Right, right. I joined it in 1977, and uh, it seemed to be on a good direction. Uh, that was a time when... It was clear that uh, the NICAP organization was beginning to fail after uh, sort of a bloodless uh, coup in the late 60s where Donald Kehoe was thrown out. or, or he, was, he was bumped upstairs, but his, his power was eventually 
essentially neutered. Uh, along with Gordon Lore, who was the assistant uh, director, he um, he was let go outright. So from that point on, uh, the the membership in ICAP became very dissatisfied with the uh, the change. Uh, they had been with Kehoe for for years, and he was gone. So uh, they, they felt like they were in a void. And I I do recall many investigators in the early seventies uh, bailing out of NICAP and and going off with uh, something called the Midwest UFO Network, which eventually became MUFON. And it was a growing organization, and it grew quite a bit in the 70s and, and uh, became you know, pretty dominant during that time frame. But uh, I joined in 77 and you know, it, it, it participated in investigations and, and the local activities with the, uh, uh, the, the group here and in Massachusetts. Uh, but over time, it became evident that, that their direction was changing as well, and they became more interested in proving extraterrestrials than doing objective research in deciding reports. There were a number of things that had come up in the 80s that I was uh, bothered by. Uh, one was their seeming endorsement of MJ-12, which was, to me, a clear-cut hoax, and then uh, the rise of uh, Gulf Breeze in 1987, which I think was clearly a hoax as well, but they were pretty thoroughly uh, endorsing it as uh, genuine. You know what and, surprised me about Gulf Breeze? And I want mm-hmm. to pick up on some of these things and these conclusions in our After the Powercast podcast, Barry. But Bruce Maccabee bought into Gulf Breeze. That surprised mm-hmm. me. It's not surprising, maybe, when you consider that he was paid a hefty sum to add a section in Ed Walter's book uh, endorsing the story. I understand that he was able to do a down payment on a house with the amount of money he received. I wasn't the only one that was suspicious of that. There were a large number of other members and investigators who thought that was kind of creepy. But it happened, and... uh, you know, it's, it's one of a number of things that uh, contributed to me eventually resigning because I, I just felt they weren't being objective anymore. It's an advocacy group. Well, and, now it's a way of getting membership money. Do you know there is now a VIP membership with the fee of $299 a year? Yeah. It starts around yeah. 50 or so. And there's one in the hundred dollar plus range, and right. then at two ninety nine, and two ninety nine you get all these things they throw in there. We're gonna get the throw pillow, and you're gonna get the t shirt. I guess I lost track of this stuff, folks, because we sell t shirts too, but we don't expect you to spend two hundred ninety nine dollars a year with us. We offer a lifetime subscription to the Powercast Plus, but again, that's a number of years. It's not just one year. Any case, we're going to end this episode of the Paracast, but then we are going to have Barry back with after the Paracast. If you're a subscriber, so Barry, tell our listeners if they want to know more of what you do. You do have a site. Yeah, it's the Greenwood UFO Archive. It's essentially a catalog of, of the things that I've compiled over the years. It's not absolutely thorough. It's I'd have to work a lot more on books and monographs and all, but it contains a lot of, I think, good references 
to uh, how to find articles and other literature on the subject is probably difficult to locate normally. You can find us on Twitter if you look for the Paracast. Find us on Facebook and explain why our URL can't be posted on Facebook, but we have two sections there. Really strange. We have branded merchandise. Speaking of the logos and stuff, if you want to buy a T-shirt or a throw pillow, go to theparacast.shop, theparacast.shop. We also offer the Paracast Plus, where we give you the After the Paracast podcast, plus a version of this show free of all those network ads, free of the network ads, and the After the Paracast podcast, where Barry Greenwood will be back. You can subscribe by visiting theparacast.plus, theparacast.plus. The coupon code UFO20 gets you a 20% discount on the lifetime subscription, which is still cheaper than the one-year VIP subscription for MUFON. How about that? Theparacast.plus. Barry, thank you for joining us on the Paracast. I appreciate it. Thank you for giving me the time. Gene Steinberg is a copyrighted presentation of Making the Impossible Incorporated. Tune in next week for a new adventure in the Paracast.